Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. I warn you, John chapter 5 is not for the faint of heart. So be brave and let's dive in together because what we're going to see is one of the most formative yet most freeing ideas in all the world. This is John chapter 5. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. What things was he doing? Well, Jesus had just healed a man who was dealing with a handicap for 38 years. But he did it on a Sabbath. He did it on a day when Jewish leaders made up a man-made rule and said, no work, no nothing, don't do anything on the Sabbath. So they decided to persecute him, bully him. They were going to cancel Jesus. And so this is how he responded. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Jesus didn't quarrel with them about their man-made laws. He didn't even talk about the Sabbath day. Instead, he said something he knew would rile them up. God is my father, but I am God, and the work he does, that's my work, and I'm going about his work, And it doesn't matter what day it is. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do anything by himself He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. You said you're angry. You're upset. You want to kill me because I healed this man? Well, I'm going to show you even greater works than that. Something even better. We say, what's greater? What could possibly be greater than Jesus healing someone? Well, he tells us, and I'll read the rest. I promise not to interrupt anymore. This is John 21. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the Father, to the Son, excuse me, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, 
So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. This is the gospel of your Lord. You may be seated. Why can't Christianity be just like that? That's what my friend said with a really, really big smile after I got to share the good news of the gospel message with her. The good news that God so loved her and the entire world that he moved all time in history to bring Jesus Christ to the forefront, who lived perfectly for you and me, who died for you, rose for you, and now is doing all things, working all things out for your good. So once again, he will move all time in history to come back and take you to be with him forever in heaven. She looked at me and she said, why can't Christianity be like that? Why do so many Christians have to talk all about judgment and guilt? That's my story. Another pastor tells a different story that took place on the opposite side of the country in Southern California. He walked outside his hotel room and began to strike up just a casual, what started as a lighthearted conversation with the person he was standing next to. It was lighthearted until that person found out she was talking to a pastor. Quickly, the setting of the setting California sun became more of a confessional. The Navy veteran of 30 years started to pour out his heart to this pastor and confess to him that he had been drinking. Not just that afternoon, but for the past 30 years. He told him that he had massive amounts of guilt and judgment pressing down on him that caused him to drink and the guilt that was related to his job, a job where he pressed the button that took the lives of enemy soldiers, but also innocent civilians. He knew it, it had ruined him. And so the pastor tried. He tried to talk to him about what God's word says about the duties of a soldier and how guilt should not be on his shoulders for what he had done in this situation. He was not guilty of sin. But the rational arguments, sound reasoning from scripture, it it wasn't setting in for this gentleman. And so the pastor turned to him and, and he said the only thing that he could think of. I forgive you. I want you to know that that I forgive you and Jesus forgives you and so you are forgiven in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'd like to tell you that that interaction with that gentleman changed his drinking, changed his thinking, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him after that, but what I do need to let you know is that I told you this story because we got to know that the question that my friend asked is a good question. It's a relevant question. Why is it that so many Christians, or at least some Christians that you know, have to talk all about judgment and guilt? 
It's because there's real people. Real people without Christian friends, without Christian family, without Christian church, without a pastor in their lives who are suffering silently from guilt, from judgment, and they're being crushed. They're being crushed like a grape getting run over by a semi. And I wish, I really, really do. I wish I could tell you that there was some version of Christianity or some, some scenario in Christianity where we didn't have sin, therefore we didn't have guilt, therefore we didn't face judgment. But the truth is, we do have sin, therefore we have guilt, and we have judgment. And without an understanding or recognizing of guilt, there's no appreciation for grace. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 tells us this, that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Perhaps the whole reason that we're not amazed by grace is that we're too busy deceiving ourselves about our sin and about our guilt. You can't be amazed by grace if you don't think that you're guilty. Grace, that is the unearned love of God given by an unobligated giver to an undeserving person like you and me, it's not amazing if you don't think you're guilty of sin. Grace impresses no one if you think you're good. Grace cannot impress you unless you understand that you're bad. You have sin and we have guilt. And yet if we deceive ourselves, if we act as though it's all good, I, I have no sin, or at least I don't have as much sin as the people I came to church with today or the people who didn't come to church at all today, what happens is we run the risk of becoming self-righteous, judgmental of other people, but also sucking the life out of ourselves as we deceive ourselves, lie to ourselves about the fact that we have guilt. Why is it that some Christians, and today this pastor, seem to only want to talk all about judgment and guilt? Well, I'm going to say something that's painfully obvious and yet shockingly overlooked. Joining us today for worship in person, online, or listening to this podcast are a variety of people, all ages, from all different backgrounds and families, with all different personality types. And yet there is one thing we share in common. It's guilt. We all face a guilty verdict despite the happy face that we all put on to the public. So what do we do with it? How do we deal with our guilt? How do you deal with or are you comfortable with the idea of judgment? Well, what I want to do today is look at what God's word has to say about how you deal with guilt, how you deal with judgment. Because even though the Bible says that we have sin, therefore we have guilt and will face judgment, even greater than guilt, we have something more beautiful, more freeing than that. 
So what I want to do is look at two systems, if you will, two systems that people typically use to deal with guilt in their life. Here's the first one, ready? It's called the system of work. In the system of work, what you do is you follow rules in order to earn status, in order to earn a certain favor. You follow rules and based on the work that you do or the type of work that you do, you get accepted, you get favor. But what happens when you do something wrong? Well, you don't. It's typically how the world works. And in a lot of ways, this is a good thing. But what about when it comes to things that you know you should do that you don't do or things that you know you shouldn't do, but you do them anyways? Well, you end up with guilt. And guilt manifests itself in a number of different ways. Maybe it's a a pressing weight or a sadness. Maybe it's a venting frustration. Maybe it's blame or defensiveness, but, but that's not how you deal with it. Those are only symptoms, manifestations of guilt. How you deal with guilt, well, the number one way that you deal with guilt in a system of works is you justify yourself. You rationalize the wrong that you do. You excuse it, even explain it, even defend it, or defend yourselves at any rate. And so we say this, in a system of work, you must work to justify yourself. Can I give you an example, maybe a lighthearted example of how this works, how this plays out? Well, ever since I was probably in high school, I have had the dream of one day living on a boat, living on a houseboat to be exact. In fact, when I was in college, my brothers and I almost bought two massive pontoons from a farmer who was selling them because we had this crazy idea that we were gonna build a houseboat. Now, this is a dream I've had my whole life. I'm pretty sure I've told my wife about this dream and I'm not sure if she's taking me seriously and looking at all of you, I'm not sure if you're taking me very seriously this morning. So let's say this, mor- this afternoon I go out and I decide I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna pull the trigger. I'm going to buy a houseboat. And then what I do is I put my sons on it and I tell my wife to meet us by the city dock and I pull up in this and I say, hey, look, surprise, I bought a houseboat. Well, in this scenario, that would be wrong. That would be wrong to just go out and make this purchase without consulting my wife or seeing what she thinks about this. So what I'm going to need to do is justify myself. At first, it's gonna sound like this. I'm gonna point out all the neat features on the boat. When that's not really working, what I'll probably do is say, hey, look, this isn't like some super yacht. This is something with a few little sacrifices we can afford. I'm gonna point out how this this one is made from recycled material and overall houseboats, they don't make a huge carbon footprint compared to other homes. So this is a really good idea. If that doesn't work, what I'll probably end up doing is defending myself, pulling out statements like this. Don't you know this has always been a dream? Don't you know how hard this will work? Then I'll appeal to reason and say, hey, listen, listen, We'll have so much good quality family time, so much more if we have a houseboat. I'll justify myself, my work, my actions. Because in the system of work, we must work to justify ourselves. 
Expand that idea. You know what you should do. You know what you could be. You know your potential. You know that you don't always do the things that you want to do or you should do. And before God, you certainly don't do everything that he says and you do some of the things at least that you know that you shouldn't do. So how do you justify yourself before God? Moms, wives, women, how, how do you do that? What things do you say to yourself or to whomever will listen in order to validate yourself, in order to get recognition for the work that you do so that it seems right, feels right, sounds noble? Husbands, men, have you ever announced to the whole room and yet to really nobody that you do the dishes just so that everyone knows that you're pulling your weight? More seriously, what contributions are you holding on to? What trophies, what works are you holding on to? Or even holding up to God in order to justify yourself, in order to validate yourself, in order to defend yourself, even when it's not defensible. How are you justifying yourself before God, Republicans, Democrats, or those of you who are somewhere else on the spectrum? How do you defend your position, your morality? Oftentimes you, you read the news and you imagine that person, that person who, whose mind works very differently than yours, and you compare yourself. You judge them, not because you care so much about them, but because you care about yourself and you care about justifying yourself, even if it's in your own mind, even if it's over and against someone who's fictitious and you haven't even met. In the system of work, we work ourselves to the bone in order to justify ourselves before others, which, even though we don't always think about it, is to justify ourselves before God. We say, don't they know what I'm up against? Don't they know how hard I worked? They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't think that. They wouldn't do that if they knew how busy I was, if they knew how important I am. Compare, compare, compare. Judge, judge, judge. All, why? To justify ourselves before others and before God. Harry Houdini is probably a household name that you've heard before. He was the great escape artist who would often bind himself up with all sorts of combinations of chains and locks and straight jackets, even burying himself, putting himself in trunks or other things that were really, really difficult to get out of. And yet nothing could confine him. He'd always get out, right? Well, he started accepting challenges from other people in order to really up the ante. And people would suggest ideas of how to confine him. And one time he accepted a challenge. He accepted a challenge from a prison official who wanted to see if Harry Houdini could get out of a particular prison cell. And so he accepted the challenge he went to the prison, was blindfolded, led by the prison official to the particular prison cell. The door was closed behind him and immediately took off the blindfold. He began tinkering with the lock, fiddling it, wiggling it, doing everything that he knew how. But after two hours, Houdini made 
little to no progress whatsoever. Uncharacteristically of him, he yelled to the prison official and said, I give up, I'm done, I can't get out. And so the prison official walked over, took out his keys to the prison door, to the cell door, but then put them back in his pocket, reached with his other hand and, and simply opened the door because it had never been locked. So many of you are affected by the weight of guilt, the sadness that comes from that. You're living lives of, of frustration and anger. You're dealing with blame and defensiveness all because you're seeking to justify yourself. You're looking to defend yourself. You're looking to excuse or explain the wrong that you do to validate your existence, even though you don't have to. The prison door has been open. You are free. There is no judgment. Jesus put it like this in John chapter five. He said this, talking about his relationship to the father. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Why are you working to justify yourself? Why are you working to deal with guilt and to deal with judgment all on your own? You will not be judged by God. Therefore, you're not gonna be judged. And it doesn't matter if you are judged by anybody else. Look, do you know who you are? Hebrews tells us that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You are holy. You are perfect. You have been made that, not by your work, but by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, God says their sins, their lawless acts, I will remember no more. Think about this. The sins that you feel guilty for, the sins that you can't forget, God doesn't remember. Therefore, you are forgiven. You are free. You are justified. Justification is a legal term. In the first century court of law, when someone had an accusation against them, they were brought before a judge. He would hear the testimony, see the evidence. And then if they were guilty of the accused crime, well, they'd suffer the punishment. But after hearing the evidence and the testimony, they were innocent of the accusation. They would be allowed to go free. They would be justified. Justification is the gracious, free gift that God has given to you, not because of your work, not because he's obligated to, not because you're any sort of darling or beauty or he really thinks you in particular are really, really good. No, not your last name, not any work or thing that you have done to earn his favor. God has simply, because of his son, because of Jesus, made a declaration, a declaration that you are not guilty of your sins, that you are innocent, 
That's the judgment. That's the verdict that you have been justified in Christ. And that leads us to the second system or the second way in which we can deal with guilt and deal with judgment. It's the way in which God deals with your guilt and your judgment. John chapter five says this, very truly, this is Jesus speaking, very truly, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. There's really two systems, there's, there's two ways in which you can deal with the guilt, the judgment that we all face. One is the system of work, the first one. The second is a system of grace. And the first righteousness or rightness with God is something that comes from doing work, observing rules. And the second righteousness or rightness with God, it comes by faith. It comes through grace. In the first system, we work, we work, we work to justify ourselves. In the second system, we do nothing. In the first system, laws are followed and, and what we get is an earned reward. In the second system, what we're given is a gift for free for the sake of Jesus. You can picture these two systems, maybe like a courtroom. In the first system, what happens is you and I are on trial. We're on trial for the things that we have done wrong, sins. And because of that, we face a judge. The judge is God. And there, there's a prosecuting lawyer whose name is Satan, the devil. And in this first system, what we do is we ask God because it's the system of work to judge us based on our work, based on our merit, based on the rules we did or did not keep. And so the prosecuting lawyer is on to this. He opens up the book of the law and he points to all of God's law and says, see, they didn't keep them all. In fact, you say if they broke one of them, they broke all of them. And so they are guilty. They are guilty of punishment. And since we're seeking to justify ourselves, we're our own lawyer. We seek to kind of, you know, downplay what we did to explain it, maybe excuse it. We want to defend the things that we did and defend ourselves. But you know what they say about someone who is their own lawyer? They have a fool for a client. No amount of justification, no explanation that we give would ever be enough because God is just, his word is true and right. That's the first system. In the second system, it's much the same. We're on trial for the wrong that we did. We face a judge who is God. And there the prosecuting lawyer is Satan, the devil pointing to the rules saying, look, we deserve 
punishment. We deserve that because we broke all of the laws. And yet in the system of grace, we have a lawyer. We have someone who's defending ourselves and his name is Jesus. John chapter five, verse 25 says this, and God, the father has given him authority to judge. So what happens when it comes time to read the verdict? Our God, the judge, pushes back from his chair, calls his son up to the stand, not as a witness, not to bear sin, but to the judgment seat. And Satan starts pouting. He starts going, no, 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 you need to judge them. You need to judge them according to what they did, according to the wrong. And God just laughs. He just smiles and says, no, no, I love my son and I have given him all authority to judge. And so Jesus takes the judgment stands and what he says is that I am perfect. I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm guiltless, I'm sinless. And so all of that, I'm gonna give to my client. I'm gonna credit to my client Therefore, you are justified. You're free to go. Your sins are no more. They're forgotten. The door has been opened. Your chains have been let loose. You are free in Christ. You are forgiven for Christ's sake. You have been judged, but not according to your work, according to Christ. Therefore, go, go and live free. You have no guilt. You have been justified. Back in the day, people used to think it was a good idea to ask strangers maybe as a way to share your faith. Uh, if you were to die and go to heaven and face the holy, just, and judge God, why would he let you into heaven? You know, maybe people would give out a little tract, they're called, a little pamphlet with that question and the answer on that. I don't think that's such a great idea, a great way to share your faith doesn't really work out favorably. But the question's still worth considering among Christians. If you were to step before the holy and just God, why would he let you in? Why would the judge let you in to heaven? There's really only two ways you can answer that question. You can talk about how you tried at least, I tried to be a good person, to do good things, to do what's right, to teach them to my family, to help out to my neighbor. But anytime you answer the question based on you, yourself, and talk all about I, me, and my, you're standing in the first system, the system of work. But the other way to answer the question is standing in the system of grace where you really need to say nothing at all, but point. Point to Christ for you, standing by you, who took that judgment on himself and now judges you accordingly. It's an interesting question to consider. Will you be judged one day? The answer, kind of. Yes and no. Yes, you will be judged, 
But no, you will not be judged according to the things that you do and the things that you didn't do. What you will be judged according to one day when you do face the judge before the throne of heaven is the work of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes this, whoever believes these words will not be judged, but they have already crossed over from death to life. Friends, do you realize how freeing of an idea this is? Do you realize how freeing it is to no longer live in a system of works, but to live and stand in a system of grace? Do you understand how freeing it is to know that all your life, you do not have to work to earn your favor, your status before God? I mean, think about it. Do you realize that right now you are loved by God more than you possibly could imagine, and as much as you ever could. Right now, presently, you are absolutely loved by God. There's not one thing that you could do more or less to get more love from him. He already loves you. What would you do if you knew that you no longer had to justify yourself? You no longer had to validate yourself before God, try to prove yourself to him, and that transcends into your life and all your other relationships. So if you don't have to prove yourself to God, justify yourself to him. You don't have to justify yourself according to others. Do you realize how freeing this is? That we just need to push open the door and stop standing in guilt, standing in judgment, and walk out because Christ has opened the door for you. You are no longer judged because you are justified by grace through faith. In the 16th century, there was a gentleman, a priest, a monk named Martin Luther, who lived and grew up in a system, a church system that asked him to do works in order to make up for the wrongs that he did. In other words, what happened was God became a monster who dangled the carrot of heaven before Martin Luther and told him to jump, told him to jump high and grab it, but no matter what, he couldn't jump high enough. Instead, he was always falling short. But Martin Luther tried, he tried and tried and tried, and if anybody did the right amount of works, it was him, but it was never enough. His life was just spent on the treadmill of hopelessness and despair. But a breakthrough came. A breakthrough came when Martin Luther read and studied these words from Romans chapter three, that this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You're not justified by doing works. You're justified by grace. This idea completely transformed Martin Luther. It completely reorientated himself from a life that was lived from looking up, trying to completely and work in favor with God to go and set free and just live and love others. And this made a huge difference. It made a huge difference that he no longer faced judgment from God. And so the judgment from others, well, didn't affect him because Martin Luther would stand 
trial. He would stand trial before the most powerful judge in the world. On April 18th, 1521, an anniversary that was recognized of 500 years just last Sunday, Martin Luther stood before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, who told Martin Luther to stop talking about this, to stop writing about this, to take back everything that he had said to that point, and then he could go free. But Martin Luther had tasted real freedom. He knew that he no longer stood in that prison of guilt and judgment, but he had stepped out of it to real freedom. And so he stood there before the most powerful man in the world. And I want to read the words that he said. He said this, when asked to take back what he had said, I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. Here I stand. Pretty powerful words, right? And they're words that are well remembered. But can I, can I share with you the words that Charles V said in response to Luther? Here's his reaction. He pronounced this. He said, I've decided to mobilize everything against Luther. My kingdoms and dominions, my friends, my body, my blood, and my soul. Pretty chilling words, right? But I share these words with you because there is a ruler of this world. He's way more powerful than Emperor Charles V. It's the prince of this world, a title that, well, scripture gives to Satan, the devil, who will do everything, who is gonna mobilize all his kingdoms, all his dominions, take even your friends, your body, your own flesh, and try to do everything he can to get you to stand in a system of works. But you don't stand there anymore. You've been set free. You've been justified. You stand in the forgiveness of Christ. You stand in the place where you have received that verdict, that announcement that you're not guilty. You don't face judgment because you are Christ's beloved. Amen.